If you have your Bibles, and I know you do, why don't you open them with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 6. We're going to conclude this little mini-series that we've been in on uh, how disciples pray. I certainly anticipate that we won't conclude disciples praying. I certainly hope that all we've done is resource and equip and encourage disciples to pray, right? Very good. We're in Matthew chapter Matthew chapter 6, in the, and it's that section called the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. So you'll see that there's, there's more, there's more uh, Sermon on the Mount to come, yet to come. Uh, but uh, what we've seen is that Jesus has called his disciples together, and he's taught them about several things, and he pauses to talk to them, or the way Matthew organizes this, is that Jesus is teaching his disciples about how to pray. And we've seen that disciples pray for heaven on earth. They pray for divine provision. They, they pray for mercy. And they pray for protection and for direction. Today, we will see that disciples pray with praise. I've heard a couple of your woos already this morning, so I, I know there's more in there. For followers of Jesus, praise is a powerful priority. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13, the, the, the final part says, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Everybody said amen. amen. Now, Praise in this passage, in this in Matthew verse uh, uh, chapter six verse thirteen, that for yours is the kingdom, or for thine is the kingdom. For that part, that section is missing in some of the uh, older versions of the Greek texts that we have, and therefore some, particularly in the last several decades, when they. Uh, when they make when they make translations and versions of the Bible and they make new they print new Bibles, they have chosen to take that last part of verse thirteen and put it in the the footnote or the margin. So some of your Bibles may not have that in the actual text. You'll see it. You'll see a little footnote there, and it'll be in the margin. And then something like uh, the MSS doesn't have that, or some older versions, or something like that. Well, if that's true, if there's a question about its its or its original. Uh, place, why include it? Why speak from it? Well, because it is present in biblical manuscripts as early as the late first and second century. It's present in there and spread out across uh, a wide swath, a wide margin of texts. So basically this, there we have a lot of Bibles that have had that passage in there for pert near 2,000 years. So I'm thinking... Well, we, maybe we lean into it a little bit. You know, I realize that maybe some modern scholars think, oh, we found this, we find this. What they do is they find an ancient piece of paper that's missing something, and they say, oh, maybe we were wrong. And that's okay. That's the way the science of translation is done. But it's been around for a while. It's also present in other early Christian manuscripts. There's something called the Didache, which is a, a collection of apostolic teaching. Very early, very early, second century. It's, they, they refer to this phrase in the book of Matthew. Now, some people say, this is free, it's not in my notes. Some people say, well, it's, it's not in Luke, but it's in Matthew. Oh, well, there's, a, there's probably a, a fairly good to reason for that. 
uh, and that is Luke's audience versus Matthew's audience. Uh, so, and, and so remember that Matthew is writing to a primarily Jewish Christian audience, new Christians that have a primarily Jewish background where Luke is writing to a primarily uh, Greek audience. But this is the deal. Why, why is that important, the Matthew's audience part? Because the biggest reason to lean into this verse, this, this passage in that verse, is because of what this is. This is, here it is, Floyd. Floyd was asking what this is. This is a doxology. Everybody say doxology. What, what is a doxology? A doxology is, is, a, is an expression of praise that articulates praiseworthy truth or attributes about the nature of God. So, do, so, you, so, so, say, so Dav, you're saying doxology is, is praise. Yes. It's praise, but it's, it's, doxology goes a little bit beyond woohoo, praise God, awesome, get your hands up, raise the roof. Uh, those are all fine expressions, of course, but a, doxo- a doxology is an expression of praise that actually articulates something true about God, that elicits a praiseworthy response. Start to feel that inside. I've, I'm trying not, my wife has put too many videos of me jumping around the platform. So I'm doing my best not to jump, jump around like, like tricks are for kids. I told her, is there's no one that's going to want to come here. Who's that weirdo? No. Yeah. Was that an amen to who's the weirdo? That was a random, I don't, let's just back that up. I'm going to need me an usher somewhere. Doxologies were part of liturgical or public prayers, particularly in Hebrew culture and coming to a crescendo, of course, in the time of Jesus. What we read in Matthew sounds very much like the doxology present in the prayer of David. Now, that should come as no surprise, remembering that Matthew is a regal gospel, and part of Matthew's intent is to, is to remind or convince the reader that Jesus is the son of Abraham and the son of David. He's the heir to the promise of Abraham and the heir to the throne of David. And so it would make sense, parenthetically, that, hey, it's not in Luke, but why is it in Matthew? Because no Jewish prayer would be appropriate. There was there, no Jewish prayer, if it, if it was authentic, if it was genuine, ended without a doxology. Here's David's, in, in, as he's expressing his intercession, he's pouring out his heart in intercession to the Lord in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 11 through 13. See if this sounds a teeny bit familiar, way back in Chronicles. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory, and the majesty, and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. That's a doxology. Articulating specific attributes characteristics about God that are praiseworthy. No Jewish prayer ended without it. In other words, you might say that in Jesus' day, 
No proper prayer ended without praise. So you and I might just nod our head, take note, and assert this this morning. That no prayer should end without praise. No prayer should end without praise. Can you say that, that rhythm with me? No prayer should end without praise. Prayer should include praise. Prayer should conclude in praise. Prayer should result in praise. Prayer should, I've been thinking about you all week here. Prayer should, in musical terms, resolve. Praise resolves the prayer. Prayer, praise resolves prayers and intercession. When, when, when musical terms to resolve, that means it takes, it takes the, 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 when the it take, to resolve means that the music goes from, a, from an unstable sound, dissonance, and it comes back to a stable sound, consonance. It resolves. There's this a feeling of instability and stability, and then it, it, the, the music resolves. And, the, and, and that's, that's why when this, a song comes back and you can go up to scale, and it goes back to the original key inside, you go, oh. You actually feel that if you go up, if you play a scale in C, and you start in C, and you go up and up and up and up, you're inside, you go, ah, 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 until it gets back to C, and then you, oh, that feels better. That's called, it's resolving. It's going back to a stable sound. And praise does that in prayer. Intercession stretches us, concerns us, petitions stretch us, but then praise resolves it. Praise is the stable sound. Praise is the sound of stability and of strength and of peace and of hope and of gratitude and of confidence. Why praise? Why do we, why, why, why does, is praise such a part, such an important part of our prayer life? As we said, praise is a powerful priority. Let's talk about the priority part. Praise is a priority for disciples. Now, there's a lot of things that can be said. If we, we could do a series about praise and go a long time, that's not our point this morning to be, uh, to pr- present an exhaustive study of praise. But just as it relates to this portion here, we see that if, if this is how disciples pray, we see that praise is a powerful priority. Here's the, looking at it as a priority, the fact that it's even here in Matthew, that, that this portion is included in pray this way in the Lord's Prayer, that's a big deal, that it's here. That means that praise is no less important and no less practical than provision. Praise is no less important or, and practical than mercy or protection or direction. Now, the point of praise is not necessarily to be practical. Meaning, that praise is not a means to an end. Praise does not serve you. Praise is appropriate. Praise is the right thing to do. Praise is the only right and fitting response to the person and providence and promise and power of God. Consider the the role or the place of praise in heaven. We get a glimpse into heaven from the book of Revelation. 
And as John the Revelator looks by the Spirit into the heavenlies, consider what he sees in heaven and the role of praise. Revelation chapter 4, beginning at verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. The very next chapter, chapter 5. You remember now this is where the lamb shows up. And then they just absolutely lose their minds. Okay? In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the lamb who, were, who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Now, there's a lot of doctrine if we allow ourselves to connect what, is, what, 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 is, what might be attributed, as we're listening to Matthew record this, oh, we're, we're, talking to, we're talking to God, we're talking up into the thing here. But here, the very same language is attributed to the Lamb. This is, this is good Trinitarian doctrine here that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully worth of all adoration and praise. Okay, so this is they're worshiping the Lamb, giving Him all honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Nobody gets out of this. And, this, and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Then in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 6, then I, John says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder. Now, back, time out just a minute. Out on the east side yesterday, we had a bit of that. It made my house shake. And I'm just telling you that I've been in this town for a smidge, and I, and I would watch the flash of lightning on the porch, and I'd count. And then I'd, I'd, I've never done this. I'm a big boy now, but I've never gone... But I did. I winced a little bit because I thought, because I could feel the whole, right? I mean, I, we, I thought, Lord Jesus. I'm a little bit, woo-hoo. And so now I, you know, without, if you've never heard that, then the, like, like loud peals of thunder doesn't strike you. But that loud, but he heard that sound, but instead of that sound, they were saying, hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. So if, if praise is appropriate in heaven, and it is, then what have we learned already in this passage? As in heaven? So we consider the place of praise in the church. And we look, we just, when we can consider uh, the Pauline epistles, just Paul's writing. Paul's writing is full of the, the stuff of Christian living. Right, you know, you know, stop walking this way. Walk this way instead. You know, be nice to your mom and dad. You know, don't be a fornicator. You stop lying. I mean, he says all this stuff, right? You know, be good at work, and you know, telling you how to live out, having having been brought into vital contact with the Spirit. This is how you live. But in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of the stuff of Christian living, we read in Romans chapter eleven. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. 
Romans chapter 16. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 19, now he's talking to us. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 1.17, now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Praise is a priority for disciples. Praise is appropriate. It is the only and right response to any consideration, any glimpse of who God is and what he has done. If praise does not have priority in our lives, I wonder how closely we are following Jesus. If we get our eyes off of him, if we let distance accumulate in our following of him, praise will likely be little in our lives. If praise does not have priority, we are the ones missing out. God doesn't need your praise. He delights in it. He loves it. He welcomes it. He doesn't need it. You do. (laughs) It may not be for you, but you need it. Because praise is powerful. It's a priority, but praise is powerful for followers of Jesus. And again, there are A lot of things that could be said, but let me just present a handful, and maybe one or three can get lodged in there, and we can all have a more obedient response to Scripture. First of all, why is praise powerful? How is it powerful? Praise promotes an awareness of God. Praise makes or promotes a a God focus. Praise promotes an awareness of God. It, It It trains or moves our attention Godward. Psalm 22, verse 3 is a a passage that says that God inhabits, or it might be verse 10, that God God inhabits or is enthroned on the praises of Israel. Now, a lot of times uh, people have said that, and and, and it's it's true, but we should be careful not to think that, that this, that our praise makes God sit. Hey, God, sit here. We're going to praise you. No. Uh, It's that our praise gathers us around his throne. He inhabits our praises, but we're the ones moving. (laughs) Okay, we're the ones. Praise, in praise, we draw near to God. Psalm 100 says that we enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. That means praise is me moving closer drawing nearer the the courts the court was right here so inside the holy place 
There's the holy and the holy place. But the, see, I approach that place. That's where I'm in the court. I approach, I draw near to God in praise. Wow. So praise elevates my thoughts and places them on divine things versus mundane things. Praise turns my attention away from the mundane and the worthless and the temporary and brings my thoughts on divine things. Praise promotes an awareness of, of, uh, of God's nature, of his faithfulness, of his power and his promise. This is why Paul will write in, in Philippians 4, 8, when he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. And then here's the summary. He's not adding to that list. Here's the summary. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, praise will elevate the climate and the condition of our minds. It changes what's going on in there. It is a climate-changing practice. Praise fuels in our lives an optimistic outlook and attitude and speech. Praise changes our default face. You should praise God with your face first. Why you say that, Dav? Because our, your face should look like you've been looking at someone who is praiseworthy. Praise is powerful because, secondly, because praise aligns us with reality. In praise, I look at and I think about and I talk about that which is true. How many times, as we read through Revelation and the, and the epistolary literature, how many times did, did we hear those passages conclude with forever and ever? That means that what is true about God will always be true. Praise aligns me with what, that which is true. It praise aligns me with, and, and I, I fasten my heart, I anchor my life to the one who was and who is and who is to come. So praise, I'm, I'm, praise aligns me, it connects me with what is true versus what is false. Versus it connects me with something that is strong versus what is weak. That which is enduring versus that which is passing away. Praise stabilizes and strengthens. It is an anchor. Praise robs the temporary of its power. Praise is the antidote to the emptiness of haste and hurry. Hurry is the worship of the temporary. Praise reminds me of what is eternal. Praise fuels faith. Thirdly, praise fuels faith and fosters hope. Praise aligns me with what is true, and as it does, it strengthens my faith and stirs my hope. In the scriptures, praise almost always precedes help. What I mean is, if someone's crying out for help, and you can hear them saying, we need help, praise will always precede it. Almost always, it'll begin with praise. 
Daniel 9, he is going to intercede before God to change geographic and historical boundaries, but he begins with praise. In Acts chapter 4, the church is bringing their concern about persecution and their outcry for revival, but even that, they, they, they start by recognizing who God is and giving him glory for his person, for his character, for his providence, always. Praise always precedes help. That's why it's really good in church or in groups or around your house. If you're going to say, hey, let's have some prayer requests, begin with testimony. Begin with praise. I've been in a lot of places where they'll say, well, now let's pray. And they'll give a, 14, you know, a list of 14 prayer requests. And by the end of it, you know, and nobody's got faith left. Because all, all, all you've heard is everything that's wrong. Well, I'm out of here. But if you'll start with praise, if you'll start with praise, you can start with faith. You can, you can promote hope. That's what praise does. Praise enables us to ask for help with hope. Praise enables us to ask for help with hope. Psalm 66, 17, the psalmist says, I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. Finally, Prayer is powerful, and again, there's more that can be said. But praise activates God's power now. Praise invites, praise invokes his immediate presence. Praise gets stuff done. Praise gets stuff done. I can't really explain it, but I know it's truth. I've, it's in the scripture. It's been in my life. I'll try to be brief. Uh, when my oldest, Bubba, Benjamin, was he, when he was, how many months was he? Three? No, 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 no. He was fine at nine. He was past that night. We got pictures of him. He was chubby and good. Six, six months, he had a... Uh, he had a he had a, a minor 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 like cosmetic-y type surgery uh, in his nether regions. I say that with respect because he's going to be twenty one. Certainly can't talk about that aloud. Okay, uh, but a minor minor little cosmetic modification thing. And what happened is after the surgery, again, he's just this little tiny guy in his diaper. They they bring him out of surgery and they say, "Hey, surgery went fine. He did great. What a trooper!" You know the stuff they say to you to make you feel better as a parent. And. Uh, uh, few minutes later, I feel like a few minutes later, and again, I'll make this quick because it, it, was, it was 48, 72 hours of, of something. Uh, they said something, you know, golly, we, the, his, his diaper is full of blood. He's not, the bleeding from the surgery hasn't stopped. We, so they, they whisk him back into surgery. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna tie him up better, you know. Let's get him all, no problem, we'll just tie that up better. Something must have got, you know, better, better sutures, stitches, whatever that's called. They're going to tie him up better. They bring him back out of that second tie-up surgery, bleeding still not stopping. So now, my, now, my, now, now, now just in, just in candid terms, I'm a I'm first-time dad, young guy, 20-something, and my firstborn, precious, perfect boy is bleeding to death, and they can't stop it. They can't stop it. Then they take a test, and they say, you know what? Something's wrong with his blood. He's not, he won't stop. Something's wrong. So what do we do? We pray. We call prayer chain, the whole thing, right? Hey, let's pray. Let's agree together. Let's pray together. We get our confession on. We get our intercession on, right? We go through the, we go through the dissonance. We go through the dissonant sound of intercession. 
and petition. And nothing's changing. I don't know how long it was. I felt like you had to stay there the night and come back the next day. It was long. We, we did everything. Everything you do. All the dissonant sounds. And, and then I just, I remember I came to a point where I just went, and I took a metal chair and I scooted it across that tile floor in that hospital room and it made that noise it makes on over to a window. And he's bleeding to death over there. And they're saying, we can't test after test. Nothing fixed, nothing wrong, something's bad. And I knelt down on a chair and I sang, we give you praise. We Lord, now and always, we give you praise. I'm sure hot tears running down my face. I kept singing it. We give you praise, praise. With our hands lifted high, our voices to the sky, we give you praise. And I just kept singing it. And I can't tell you whether it was immediate, it felt like the next minute. It felt like in my memory, I got up from that chair and turned around and somebody walked in through the door and they said, his blood's fine and the bleeding stopped. We did everything. We did all the things, pulled all the wires, and then we just praised. In Acts chapter 16, verses 23 through 26, Paul and Silas are dutifully preaching the gospel and confronting evil and suffering and casting oppressive devils out of people, and it lands them in prison. And they have been beaten, beaten to a tar, and they're in a danky, cold, you know, gross prison. You know, there was no lawyers to get them, you know, they didn't have cable. And listen to this, verse 23, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken and all at once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. That's the thing that appears about praise as praise act brings God's power into our now but it, it also affects people around us. We, t we warn you that, you know, you get warned that your negative attitude won't just poison you, but it'll affect the world around you. But your praise will affect your chains and the chains of those around you. Back in the day, the imperial said it this way. When you're up against a struggle that shatters all your dreams and your hopes have been cruelly crushed by Satan's manifested schemes, 
and you feel the urge within you to submit to earthly fears, don't let the faith you're standing in seem to disappear. Praise the Lord. He can work through those who praise him. Praise the Lord, for our God inhabits praise. Praise the Lord, for the chains that seem to bind you serve only to remind you that they drop powerless behind you when you praise him. Now, Satan is a liar, and he wants to make us think that we are paupers when he knows himself that we are children of the king. So lift up the mighty shield of faith, for the battle must be won. Know that we know that Jesus Christ has risen, so the work's already done. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, for our God inhabits praise. Praise the Lord, for the chains that seem to bind you serve only to remind you they drop powerless behind you when you praise Him. For the followers of Jesus, praise is a powerful priority. And that's what it means to follow Jesus.